Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. Simply Stogies is a passion project that is fan-funded. If you enjoy the content Simply Stogies brings to you and would like to see more and different kinds of content, a website, more on-location podcasts with blenders, manufacturers, or retailers, or video reviews, please consider supporting Simply Stogies on Patreon at patreon.com slash simplystogies. Supporting Simply Stogies can get you a ton of perks, including instant access to bonus material, access to Simply Stogies Discord, including a Patreon-only channel, shoutouts on the show and social media, a monthly virtual herf with myself and other supporters, the ability to suggest cigar reviews, cool swag, or the opportunity to do a cigar review on Simply Stogies podcast. Thank you for your consideration and your generosity. Now, on to Simply Stogies. You're listening to Simply Stogies, a monthly podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back and relax while James brings you along on his journey as a new cigar smoker. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, and will probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. This week, we have a very special episode for you because we have with us Mr. Andy Yaffe, the National Sales Director for Macau Cigars. Andy, welcome to Simply Stogies. James, uh, the pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me on today. I look forward to, uh, to chatting with you. Uh, I do too. We've got a lot, of, a lot to talk about. Uh, the cigar industry feels like it's Feels like it's changing, and I feel like you guys are kind of at the forefront of that. And so we want to talk about that. But before we do, before we get to our conversation, I'd like to remind you, the listener, that we're still looking for a cigar reviewer and staff writer at simplystogies.com. If you're interested, please email me at info at simplystogies.com. Uh, I'd also like to uh, invite you, the listener, to check out creativebraincandy.com and some of the other great podcasts we have there, like Bad Gamers Anonymous. This week on Bad Gamers Anonymous, the Bad Gamers take you on a trip down memory lane as they discuss Skyrim, the classic 2011 hit. Can I can I sign up for the cigar reviewer? How about that? Yes, absolutely. I, I would uh, <laughs> I would welcome that. Yes. Sweet, so I have talk- your email. I'll send you. <laughs> yes, you do. So let's talk about how you got into cigars. Like, what was? Uh, how did you get into just cigars in general? Just smoking. So. Growing up, I grew up in Orlando, Florida, in a little town called Winter Springs. Uh, went to high school there, got my first job at Publix Grocery Markets. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not. I am. And I met who became my best friend at the time and still is my best friend. Uh, his name's Mike. His grandfather and his dad were both cigar smokers. And at the time, we were young. We were 16, 17 years old, too young to really get into smoking. But he started getting into it, and he kept telling me how good his dad smoked 
you know, how good it smelled and how good his grandfather's smoke smelled. And he got to try a cigar and he loved it. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little young. I don't, I don't want to dive in yet. So he finally convinced me on my 18th birthday to go have a cigar. So on my 18th birthday, him and I, uh, we lived about an hour from the beach. Uh, so our favorite beach growing up was New Smyrna Beach. Uh, which is just south of Daytona Beach. Not sure if you're familiar or not, but he was like, let's go to the beach on your 18th birthday. Let's get a cigar and hang out on the beach and smoke it. And he's like, I promise you, you're going to love having a cigar. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. So we got in the car, we went to the local cigar shop. I picked up uh, a cigar, which is no longer in existence. It's called Heaven Vanilla vanilla tip. I wanted something with a flavor to it. I wanted something more on the mild side. And so I picked that up and then we picked up a six pack of IBC root beer from the grocery store (laughs) next door and took our beach chairs and watched the sun go down on New Samarta Beach, smoking a heaven vanilla and drinking IBC root beer. We just thought we were the coolest kids on the planet. And (laughs) I just remember thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying that cigar. I was like, man, this is really good. It's got a nice vanilla flavor to it. Not too strong. I'm really having a, just the whole experience was awesome. So the funny thing is when we finished the, the, when I finished my cigar, I forget what cigar he had. I think he had a Romeo and Julieta. And we finished it and we're like, man, we really want another cigar. And at that point in time, it was like eight o'clock at night. The cigar shop there had already closed. We're like, well, let's go on it. Let's go find a cigar. Maybe 7-Eleven has uh, <laughs> cigars. So there was a 7-Eleven on the beach. We both went in there and we asked the guy, it's like, oh, do you guys sell cigars? He's like, yeah, I got these, these things right here on the counter. They're called Swisher Sweets. And I'm like, okay, we'll take one. We didn't know what we were smoking. We had no idea. <laughs> right. So we both grabbed a Swisher Sweet and we went back to the beach to finish our IBC root beer six pack lit those suckers up and golly, they were the most horrible things I've ever <laughs> spoken. We're like, these aren't cigars. Like that is not exactly what I just, that's not even close to what I just smoked. This is awful. So from that point in time, I realized right then and there never to buy a cigar at 7-Eleven. <laughs> 7-Eleven. And number that's- two, the difference between it just made me realize how much I really enjoyed what I became to learn was considered a premium cigar over a Swisher Suite, uh, which I guess are machine-made. And that's where it just clicked. From that point on, I was all about cigars. I'm, I became obsessed with them. We would go to uh, you know, freaking – when we get together the, at night, we'd go to Albertsons because it was open 24-7, and they had a humidor there. We didn't care what we were picking. We were just grabbing cigars. I was going to – you know, exploring all these cigar shops. I just fell in love with the culture at that time. So that's when I was 18. I just fell in love with, with actually smoking cigars. Uh, I was still many years away from actually working in the industry, nor at that time did I ever think I would work in the industry. I just enjoyed smoking them and it became a, it became a, a big hobby of mine. Uh, it was a hobby of his still is to this day. And I introduced cigars to uh, several of my other friends, which have become, you know, consistent cigar smokers too. So yeah, I, I started right at 18 and it's just always been a part of my life since then. So those friends that you introduced uh, into the hobby, they're still your friends. They're not mad at you for, for you showing them this hobby that takes all their money. Honestly, none of them 
with the exception of my best friend, Mike, he does spend a lot of money on cigars. They just appreciate having a cigar, you know, once a month, once every other week, something like that. I, I don't think any of them have become addicted to it like I have. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or, or like I have. So it was love at first puff for you. And you remember the first cigar you were smoking. What are you smoking right now? So I am smoking a special cigar from McAuliffe. It is the Leenda Special Edition. I figured, James, we're in this together on this nice podcast to talk about the success in the cigar industry. I figured I'd light up one of our best. And this is truly probably my favorite in our portfolio, uh, the Leenda Special Edition, which is special edition. It was a limited production cigar. We only made 510 count boxes of the smoke. So once they're gone, they're gone. I don't, we, maybe we'll make it again in the future, but we don't have any plans currently to do that. I just, I, I love this cigar. It's very special for us. So besides that cigar, because like you said, when it's gone, it's gone. It may come back. It may not like what out of the McAuliffe line of regular production is your favorite? Well, everybody seems to love the McDalia, which is one of my favorites as well. And our ambassador group voted one of the McDalia Vitolas as their favorite cigar uh, yeah. and something we I, yeah, put I together that I think we might get to a little later in the conversation. But I love the McDalia. Uh, I love the Leenda number two, just the regular Leenda. Those two are my, my go-tos. And I'm also a big Sumatra fan. Our box press grande bold Sumatra is delicious in the morning. Yep, that Sumatra is really good. I, for whatever reason, I love uh, a Sumatra wrapper. Like that's one of my favorite rappers. So that's a yeah, I really like that cigar too. That's really good. Yeah, it's it's delicious. I'm a sucker for small box press cigars, uh, and that is our only bold that is box pressed. And that five by forty five size is a perfect forty five minute smoke uh, when you're having coffee in the morning, when you're visiting a store, it's just a great, great, great cigar. It's not overly powerful. It's nice medium at best. And it just matches well with, with pretty much anything I pair it with. It's just got a great, nice sweetness to it. So let me ask you this. Cause it sounds like, and since you're in the industry, I'm guessing you are, it sounds like you're a cigar nerd. And I think there's a difference between, like you said, your friends who smoke a cigar once every other week, once a month. And then guys like you and me, kind of get into the weeds and, and really get into the rappers and the Vitolas and, and, and all of that. When did that happen for you? Like, was it right away? You were like, I want to find out everything I can about this because you saw the dichotomy between a Swisher sweet and what you were smoking before. Were you like, I want to know why, or how did that happen for you? It really did not occur until I got into the industry because I didn't fully understand it until I got into the industry. I just basically, I, you know, and now that I'm in the industry, I, I cringe when I meet these type of people, I would just go into the store and be like, Hey, what's new? What's good. Growing up in Orlando, I had the privilege of having Corona right there in my backyard, which is considered one of the best retail operations in the United States, if not the world. Yep. And you walk into Corona, they got four locations now. But when I first started smoking, they just had the one, which is off of Sand Lake, their flagship store, their original, well, not their original store, but their, their flagship cigar bar. And walked in there and you just see cigars for miles. Like they're just, it's all, the whole place is just a walk-in humidor. You walk in and there's aisles yep. of cigars 
and they're all presented very, you know, awesome. And the staff there is fantastic at making sure that they pick the right cigar for you. I was one of those guys that walked in and I said, Hey, what's new? What's exciting? What tastes good right now? And I fell victim to that because now that I'm on this side of the industry, the people that come in and say, what's new, I'm like, I cringe. And I'm like, okay, the better question is what's new to you? Not necessarily what's new on the market. There's so many good cigars out there. What's new to you? What have you not tried? And it could be something new, but it could be something that's been on the market for years. So I never really got into too much the makeup of the cigars. I realized what I was smoking was either Dominican or Nicaraguan or Honduran, but I didn't really care about the leaves. I didn't care about all of that. I just liked to smoke and I liked certain flavors. I would go in there and I'd be like, I like, you know, this one because it has a little bit of pepper spice to it. I like this one because it's a little bit more cocoa forward. That's how I picked my cigars. Now, when I got into the industry and I had to learn if I'm going to sell these cigars, I need to know what I'm selling. That's when I really started to dive in on the Vitolas, the makeup, where it's coming from, how it's being made, how it's being processed. And I would say the first time that I was really, really, really enlightened was my first trip to a cigar factory with my previous employer. We went down to the Dominican Republic toward the factory, toward the farms. I got to see everything basically from seed to finished product before it was boxed in a box and sent to the U.S. That's when I truly started to understand uh, how everything is put together. And that's what really fascinated me. I, I'm a visual learner. I had to, I had to see it, you know, right. The rest is history. So let's talk about how you got into the cigar industry because you didn't start out saying, Oh man, I really love cigars that much. I want to jump into the industry. How, how did this come about? I never really knew how it worked, how you got into the industry. Basically. I, I didn't know. When I graduated from, I went to a University of Central Florida, UCF, and I graduated with a hospitality degree and went to work uh, in hotels, managing hotels. I latched on to Hilton. Hilton took me from Orlando to Miami for a couple of years, and it took me to Nashville for a couple of years. Then it took me to Fort Worth, Texas for a while. In the hotel industry, you got to be relocatable if you want to move up. So that's why I moved around so much. I was nomadic. When I was in University of Central Florida, I was also in the same program uh, as Jonathan Carney, who is the vice president of sales for La Florida Minicana. Him, myself, and my friend Mike that I mentioned before became really good friends. And Mike and John were going for the restaurant side of things. I have several uh, food allergies, so I couldn't do restaurants. I went to the hotel side of things. They became really good friends and actually became roommates at the time. And I would go over to Mike's apartment and we would sit in the balcony, smoke cigars. Cause that's our hobby at the time. And Carney got interested in it. He's like, what, you know, I've had a cigar, but I don't know anything about them. Yada, yada, yada. So he started smoking with us and he really dove in. He dove in quicker and deeper than I even did. He went to go work at a cigar shop and the rest is history with him. He became vice president of sales of Florida Minicana and now he rules the LFD world. I went into hotels, became very nomadic, and I was in Fort Worth, Texas, running Homewood Suites in North Fort Worth, uh, Hilton Homewood Suites. 
our hotel was going through a major transition in ownership and it was just very stressful. It was very tolling. We had to lay off a bunch of people. I was working 80 hour weeks. It was, it was miserable for a couple months. At the same time, uh, Carney was actually in the Dallas Fort Worth area visiting cigar shops when this was going on. And he reached out to me and said, Hey, you want to get together for a cigar? So I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll make time. I'll find time. I found an evening. I met up with Carney. We had a cigar. He was actually at the time looking for someone to take over the Texas market for LFD. And we were chit-chatting and he's like, I really think you'd be a good fit in this industry. You're very customer service oriented. You love cigars and you have a personality that I think cigar shops will attach to and cigar owners. And I'm like, you're crazy, Carney. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, yeah, I, I've been, I went to school for hospitality. I moved all the way up to a general manager. I put in a lot of blood, sweat and tears in the hotel industry. And he's like, well, I really think that you would, you would enjoy it a lot better. And then there's this. And he told me a number that I could make. And I'm like, okay, you know, now you're, you got my attention. Well, let me, um, let me think about it. Let me go talk to my wife, see what she's thinking. Um, he, he, he realized how upset I was with what was going on in the cigar industry. So he, um, I mean, in the hotel industry. So that was kind of his ammunition there too. He's like, you know, you look miserable. Uh, let's get out and do something fun. And talked it over with the wife. The wife looked at me and she's like, that's a no brainer. Like, what, what do you, why are you even thinking about it? I'm right. like, okay. So I called up Carney the next day and I said, I'm on board. When can I start? <laughs> and he's like, well, I got to put, he's like, he's like, I got to put a few things together, this and that. I got to fly you down to Miami. I got to have you do an interview. And then we could go from there. And I'm like, perfect. So a couple of weeks went by. He got the interview set up. I flew down there. They, I guess they liked me enough to offer me a job that day. And two weeks later from that, I, I was leaving the hotel industry that I spent about 10 years in and moved all the way up to the top of the food chain and dove into something completely unknown to me. I didn't know how the cigar industry worked. I just knew that I love cigars and I was going to be working for a friend and I was going to meet all these cool people and start traveling to all these cool places that I had never been to before. I was just excited to get, you know, to dive into it and see what happened. And I mean, that was, that was seven years ago, uh, this past March. Wow. Let's say it's kind of worked out so far. It has worked out. That's, that's awesome. That's quite the story. So from, from hospitality to cigars, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, when when you think about it, because the hospitality industry is not really un, unlike the a cigar lounge. I mean, you're you're basically the a concierge for somebody who wants to uh, come in, especially new cigar smokers who don't know what they want to smoke. So yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny because most people, most reps in this industry worked in a cigar shop at some point in time, and that seems to be like a pool of where these companies are grabbing people from. Uh, to be a rep, you know, usually it's someone, you know, a fascinating, motivated kid in a cigar shop that really wants to be a rep and you see the motivation, you see the enthusiasm, you grab them and give them a territory and they grow from there. Yeah. I never worked in a cigar shop. I've never worked in a cigar shop, uh, you know, for a retailer. It was coming straight from hospitality into this. And it's funny because Carney 
identified that transition because he went to hospitality management school. He went to, you know, he worked at several restaurants. He even worked at Disney world for a little bit. Like he noticed the transition of, Hey, customer service sells in this industry because you are building relationships with your retailers and taking care of them. And that motivates them to get behind your product and sell it. And he identified that I took me, I mean, I identified it after, you know, a few months into it, but it says a lot. And I actually live by that motto while I'm doing work in this industry. I've always said customer service first, sales second. I'm not a used car salesman type of guy. I don't go in there and try to twist anybody's arm on bringing anything in that they don't want to bring in. It's their store. I'm not going to tell them how to run it. I'll give them advice. I'll give them a tip here or there, but I'm not going to say, you need to run it this way or else you're going to fail. That's not my, that's not my position. I, it's not my store. I don't own it. Right. So I go in there and try to offer as much assistance and service as I possibly can. And then that will translate into building our relationship, which translates into wanting to do events, which translates into wanting to push my brand that I have in that shop. And I've seen it work over and over again in the last seven years that I live that's how I motivate myself. I motivate my sales on customer service. Absolutely. And customer service, I always used to say customer service is king. I was in the uh, uh, retail management industry for many, many years and customer service is king. People never remember what you sold them so much as how you made them feel at the time. And I, I think that that, that translates in, into this as well. So real quick, you were a, you were a, a sales rep. That's how you write for, for Carney. How, like, give me, what's the day in the life of a sales rep look like? Oh, geez. I guess it all depends on where you're, where you're at. <laughs> what location <laughs> you're at. So a day, a day in the life of a sales rep. So I always get a kick out of it when I go to these stores and you're sitting in the lounge and the guy in the lounge says, man, you're a sales rep for a cigar company. You must have the life. Like you have the, best job that anybody could want. I'm so jealous of you. And you're sitting there and you're like, you know, buddy, I spend more time behind a windshield than I do in a cigar shop. Right. Trust me by like two to one, three to one, probably, uh, you know, so the, the general sales rep out there has a territory that I would say on average is three to five States, depending on the company that you're working for. Uh, some companies, that are smaller, have larger territories. Some companies that are larger have smaller territories, but I'd say on average three to five states. And you're responsible for visiting all those cigar shops in those given three to five states. Texas was my market. That's three states in one. And right. I had five other states to deal with. The typical life of a salesman is driving from shop to shop. You see four to six shops a day, I guess is the average. In between that, you're making phone calls, you're writing emails, you're communicating with your retailers that you're not visiting. And at the end of that day, it's seven o'clock at night. Um, you have to decide if you want fast food or you want a nice dinner or whatever, but you might not have enough time to have a nice dinner. And then you might not want to have, you know, to use all your spending budget. So you decide on that. And then you're going back to a hotel room where you're all by yourself for the most part with a TV in this little confined space. And you're like, well, what do I do now uh, until I go to bed? 
and then you wake up and do it, do it again the next day, you know, it's, and then there might be a three hour drive that next day. You never, you never know, depending on what your route is. That is the day in a nutshell of a sales rep. Now I'm saying it as it sounds like completely miserable, but in between that you are seeing people that you're building relationships with. You probably haven't seen them in six to eight weeks. So you're catching up at the store. You're talking about cigars. You're running into cool customers. You're running into other sales reps that are doing what you're doing. You can build friendships with them. And all in between that, it's like, yeah, well, you know, it's that dinner time. Where should I eat? But you're in a cool city where you get to try out a new restaurant that night if you want to. It is it like what I'm getting at is it's not all rainbows and sunshine, but it's not, you know, pins and needles either. It's a good mix. Like, and it, it, it depends on the day. It's a lot of fun. And the camaraderie that exists in this industry and the relationships that you build is what makes it fun and what drives you. So I, I've asked this, I think I even asked this of Dan uh, when he was on the podcast uh, last month, but I've asked this of, of, uh, other blenders, uh, other uh, manufacturers, and I, I want to ask you, and then we'll we'll start to get into some other things here. But real quick, I've heard I've heard it described the cigar industry described as a poker game in the old west, where above the table, everybody's happy, everyone's getting along, everyone's talking, everyone's having a good time, but below the table, everyone has their guns drawn. Is that accurate, or is that not accurate? You say they're guns strong, like in a competition type manner. Uh, see, I that's that's how it was described to me is that their guns are drawn, like above board. Everybody wants everybody else to succeed, but below the table, like they're more more than ready to just take out the competition. I mean, you could say that exists in a lot of different industries, but I think it it depends on the type of company. Um. For instance, us at McAuliffe, yeah, we're all competitors. We all are fighting over shelf space and sales. But I wouldn't say we're doing it in an aggressive manner to where we just want to take out the competition. Like, that's that's not going to work. I, I mean, it, I believe in this industry, especially when you're fighting with something like the FDA and cigar regulations, we're better off all fighting it together than one by one. Absolutely. As far as guns drawn, I don't, I don't know if we're that aggressive towards each other. Absolutely, we all copy each other. I mean, but you could say that about all all industries. But <laughs> sure, I don't know. There might be some cigar companies out there that have that mentality. Like they're like, yeah, I'm ready to take this guy out. You know, they need to they need to get off the market. But um, it wasn't my mentality at LFD. It wasn't my mentality. It's not my mentality here. Uh, that I feel that way. I feel like if we all work together and use each other's resources and knowledge and experiences, then we're all going to thrive as an industry. I mean, the general general cigar smoker isn't smoking one cigar every day. They're trying all sorts of different things. So, like, what's right. the what's the fun in the industry if there's just you know one standing cigar? Like, if if it was just McAuliffe cigars out there and everybody else went away there wouldn't, I, I, this industry would not be very fun for anybody. <laughs> like we no. make great cigars, but there's no, it wouldn't be any, it wouldn't be any fun. There wouldn't be anything to learn. There wouldn't be any, it just, it just be stale. 
I, I want to talk about that real quick. You talk about basically what you're saying is a rising tide raises all ships, right? Like everybody, like if we all succeed, like it, it's better for everybody. Yeah. I, I think that goes to, uh, we're going to talk about how COVID has impacted the industry. And, and so I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit in what I wanted to talk about, but you guys do off the records and you've been doing them since uh, COVID-19 started and everyone's kind of been in lockdown and you have other people from around the industry on, like, for example, you had John Carney on from LFD. Uh, you've had people from, uh, you've had podcasts on, you've had Half Wheel on, you've had Cigar Coop on, you've had Cigar Vixen on. You've had all of these folks from uh, that are in the industry and around the industry on. <laughs> and even when Dan was on, Dan wasn't afraid to say, yeah, one of my favorite you know, cigars is a Davidoff. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's a swagger that comes with that. And there's only been one other company that I can think of that doesn't care. Like they're, if they're smoking somebody else's stick, they're going to leave the band on. Cause they just like, whatever, like <laughs> we have our cigars and then there's everybody else's cigars and we're going to smoke everyone else's cigars and our cigars, just like everybody what else. Other, what other company is that? Uh, Illusion. Oh, okay. Okay. There's a swagger that comes with that. Is it just, that you guys think that your product stands on its own and like, you don't have to take the bands off and you're not afraid to say, Hey, I smoke other stuff. Or is it just, is it a, like a common sense thing? Like not everyone is going to just smoke McAuliffe. Like I'm sure there are guys out there who just smoke McAuliffe, but for the majority of smokers, you're trying a little bit of everything and you have your favorite, favorite blends from every manufacturer. Yeah. I think it's a, yeah, just to piggyback off of what I just said, earlier i think it's like we're of the mentality that we're all in this together we're of the mentality that there's so many good cigars out there and we'd be fooling ourselves if we don't smoke other people's cigars i mean there's fan hundreds of good cigars out there that are not named mccallif so why should we be afraid to say hey i'm smoking an lfd today I'm, on our off the records we tried to have whoever the guest was uh, for instance, we had David Lafferty on last week, and he works for Dunbarton and Trust, which makes the Steve Sockus cigars. So right. me and Sam, um, our marketing specialist, went on that show and smoked Sockus cigars. Like we smoked their cigars while we're with them on the show. Uh, it'd be it'd be we'd be lying to ourselves if that's all we do is smoke smoke our own stuff. So we wanted to show the industry that we're not stubborn. We're not, we're not selfish to our own, our own needs. We we're, we're in this with, with the rest of you guys. And we feel like if we're all in that together, I mean, like I said, we're building relationships as a sales rep, we're building relationships with stores as a brand. And as a company, we're building relationships with competitors because we're all going to, we all need each other. And we're going to gain valuable information from, we've already gained so much valuable information from our competitors and they're going to gain valuable information from us. We all can learn from each other. Each, each company has different resources available to them to where we have resources that might show us some, some sort of innovation. But if another, another company wants to take it from us, if anything, that's flattering, you know, someone copied us, uh, what's the what's the saying like um imitation is the highest form of flattery form of flattery yeah so why 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 be like ignorant to that like 
let's let's all sh- let's all share share it together. So, and yeah, I, 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 I don't I don't believe in the whole like take your band off while you're smoking something somewhere else. I mean, maybe during an event or something where you're showcasing your brand, if someone hands you a cigar, you probably don't want to do it yeah, there. But right, no, for sure, like at events where there are uh, several reps. Hey, like if I'm smoking something else, if I worked for an, if, if I worked for McAuliffe, I wouldn't have uh, an illusion, you know, and if I did, I'd have the band off. And if somebody asked, I'd be like, oh, it's just a, we're testing a new blend. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, wanna... I mean, and stores, your shops that you're visiting don't think that way either. If I, if I'm, you know, there's plenty of times John Carney does it. Like if he's given, if I'm given a cigar by another rep at a store, isn't it like proper or not rude to like, go ahead and light it up. Like, isn't it just a nice gesture? It's like, okay, thanks. You know, or if I was given something to previous store and I'm still smoking it at the next store and if a retailer asks, I'll be like, Hey, I ran into the, the, my father guys and they gave me the sample. It's a really good cigar. You should, have you tried it? You know, it's, it's good. It's, it's not all about, it's not all about just being selfish and, a bully when you go into these stores, uh, they, they, the retailers appreciate it. You know, just be honest. I feel like there's not. And again, this is just from an outsider's view in like, that is a minority view. Yeah. I, I hope that that view that you guys take there at McAuliffe that you guys have spreads. And I hope that there are more that, uh, uh, in the industry that start to do that. And I think we were, I think COVID is starting to change some of that. Because there, there is, like you said, imitation is the highest form of flattery. You're off the records that you guys have are being imitated uh, around the industry now. Uh, so hopefully some of this other stuff will start to rub off on, on some of these other companies and we'll, and we'll start to see more um, working together. Friendly stuff. Yeah, less backbiting. You know, another thing with McAuliffe Cigars, we're still a new brand. We still don't have anywhere near the exposure that LFD or my father might have or companies of that stature. So if we can feature them, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go out into the market and they're going to talk well about us. Like if they see McAuliffe on the shelf, Oh, look, that's McAuliffe. Those guys are great. Like they had me on a show uh, where I showcase my brand to their ambassadors. Like that's fantastic. You know, it's all about building good word of mouth for your brand as you're growing. And that's another opportunity we saw in this. And guess what? Now I have on the flip side of that. Now I have a better relationship after doing it off the record with some of these industry leaders. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go out into the store. If I see, if I see the, you know, Saka cigars on the shelf, I saw David Lafferty. We had a great conversation. Yeah. David Lafferty's great. Those soccer cigars are really good. And, and the passion that goes behind making those is, is fantastic. You know, it's just all about word of mouth. It does mean no good to go into another store and badmouth a brand. Like it doesn't. What does that do me? You know, sometimes retailers bring it up and I'm just like, Oh, that's unfortunate. You know, or uh, yeah, maybe I wouldn't have done it that way, but uh, it's not my company. Like that's right. That's, that's the whole thing. It does mean no good to, to badmouth other brands. And honestly, there's people, there's several guys in this industry that do go out and badmouth other brands. And I just don't understand it. Right. I don't either. It doesn't, it doesn't do anybody any good. Um, especially those that are doing it. 
So let's talk about COVID and how that has really impacted the industry. Cause I think you guys are well ahead of the curve. And we talked about this a little bit before we started recording that the open letter that McAuliffe had to the industry at the beginning of the year seems to be a little bit prophetic, uh, giving the impact that COVID has had on retailers and consumers. I want to talk about that because you guys are ahead of the curve a little bit. And so when you had this, when you, when, when the letter was written at the beginning of the year, I'm guessing you had these programs in mind. Like we're going to talk about the ultimate inventory program, the Phoenix program, were you forced to kind of speed those up to kind of change with the times or were they already kind of in place and you were going to roll them out about this time anyway? So the ultimate inventory program for those who are not familiar with it is we've selected some of our most loyal retail partners to the brand of McAuliffe and given them the ability to sell any of our cigars without even stocking them. And that also gives them the ability to ship it straight to their house as we are the ones that ship it, drop ship it straight to the consumer. Right. So this was a thought last year. We were thinking about, hey, in 2020, maybe sometime, you know, our goal was more near the end of the year, you know, after trade show time. Let's feel this out and let's figure out um, how to do it. But then the COVID situation hit and we're like, okay, this presents an opportunity. And the opportunity is these stores are closing or they're doing curbside. They're not letting customers inside their store. They may or may not want to be spending money on inventory right now because times are unknown. We don't know when this is going to end or how it's going to end. Let's roll this program out now because it allows our most loyal customers the ability to sell the cigars basically in their pajamas at home if they want to you know as long as they have access to to their credit card processing machine whatever that may be i mean you could probably have a square and sit at home and take the order over the phone we have this lovely group of ambassadors that would love to take advantage of this so we're going to advertise it through that and it gives you the ability to take to, to sell product without having to bring it in to the store. And then on top of that, we're going to bill you later for it. So it kind of works in some sort of term situation where they don't have to pay for it right away. I mean, it was the perfect opportunity for some of these shops to continue to make money selling our product without actually ordering anything. We felt COVID definitely did speed that up. Now the Phoenix program, to be honest, was not in was not in the works till recently. So COVID kind of created that program, uh, given the circumstances of what COVID was bringing. Uh, now the cancellation of the trade show, that program was not something that we had originally planned. We had to evolve what we wanted to give out for a special during the summer to compete with trade show deals and with money that was spent last year in June and July by our retailers. So we came up with that program during COVID because another thing we realized is some of these stores were not ordering as much during this time because they didn't know what was going to happen. So shelf space was being created and shelf space is high dollar real estate in this industry. If anything, like, you know, it's harder to get on the shelf than it is for them to take 
the shell, you know, the product off the shelf and create that space for somebody else. So right. we felt with a lot of these stores tightening their belt financially, tightening their budgets, it was creating a little bit of wiggle room to where a brand like McAuliffe could come in and gain some shelf space. So we came up with a program for our retailers that made it attractive to them to bring in more of our blends to put in that empty shelf space. So that was thought up during COVID. The situation was we might've been able to, we probably would have had a similar program come out this summer, but it wouldn't have been to the extent that it is if it it's wasn't a, for the COVID situation. It's a very robust program for the retailers and it's fantastic. And, and what it does for those of you who, who may or may not know, the way, the way it works in the industry typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, but the trade show happens. Retailers go to the trade show. The retailers that go to the trade show typically get access to special deals from the manufacturer, but you have to go to the, you have to spend the money to go to the trade show. And that's both the manufacturers and the retailers. And so what you're doing and what McAuliffe is doing is saying, we don't need the trade show. Here are the deals. And you can have them now. And like, like you said, COVID kind of maybe sped this up and it's made it more robust than maybe it might have been in the summer. But this is, McAuliffe is a, once again ahead of the curve. I think the ultimate inventory is ahead of the curve. It, it really, it helps out the retailers where they don't have to have the inventory space to keep that stuff. They don't have to have, like you said, the shelf space to have it. They can just say, yeah, I can get it because I'm part of this program and I'll, it'll be shipped to your door. I think that's fantastic. And I think that this, this Phoenix program really highlights, and I, I don't want to bag on anything or anyone, but I think it highlights the, the, that there's not really a necessity to have a trade show anymore because anything that can be done at a, on a trade show level, which costs both the manufacturer and the retailer money to go to can be done electronically. It can be done like you and I are doing now over a zoom meeting. Yeah. Well, we've, you know, most of these companies and I want to be careful when I say this because a trade show in this industry is a good thing. It just, the trade show that has evolved over the last five, six years is not a good thing. I want to be very careful. I don't want to say, I don't want to say that we don't need a trade show. I think a trade show for this company is fantastic. If done properly and it brings everybody together in one place to do business it networks a lot of you know one thing that retailers love about it is they're able to network with other retailers anywhere in the country to get ideas on how to do their business better how to refine their business it allows us as a manufacturer to showcase new products and to write orders in person in a central place so the idea of a trade show is a very good idea. However, over the past few years, the direction the trade show has gone has not been a good direction as far as costs for manufacturers to get there, costs for retailers to get there. There's lack of a benefit to going. And a lot of these manufacturers have noticed that they're writing a lot of business by offering deals prior and after the show that weren't written on the show floor. So a lot of these manufacturers are like, okay, well, less attendance is going to the show. 
So I'm going to make sure that I still grab that business. I don't, I don't know if the Phoenix program is a way of saying we don't need to show. That is not the reason that we decided not to attend the show this year. If there was a show, it was more of, we wanted to really take the money we could save on the show and reinvest in our company, grow our sales team, grow our marketing department, grow our brand, and then maybe revisit the show next year on a stronger platform. It was, it was more of a, okay, there's no show. We're going to offer, offer this deal to get blends on the shelf. It was important to us that we were kind of the first ones to come out with it. Uh, we really wanted to grab, grab the attention early before anybody else did, but we don't see it as a way of, we don't need the show. It's more of a way, Hey, there's no show this year. There's a situation here that was created by COVID. We want to make sure that we fulfill our promise to our retailers in the open strategy letter, which was, we are going to get behind brick and mortars. We're going to offer them the best situation possible. We want to be one of the top 10 brands that you do business with. That is our goal this year. Because of COVID, we got this Phoenix program now. It's a great way to expand on our line to invest yourself. And it's our way of showing them that, Hey, by giving you this opportunity, we're investing in you and we're working together. It's a working relationship. So no, it kind of, kind of works both ways there with the trade show situation. For sure. And this definitely gives you some, uh, it helps you network, helps you build a relationship. Like you said, with the retailer, this Phoenix program and, and the ultimate inventory program. And uh, gives them an incentive to buy into McAuliffe. My question is this, uh, and you can feel free to tell me to not, that you're not going to answer it or, or whatever, but if this year, like I think everyone is seeing a down downturn in sales due to COVID. So I think every company's kind of said, okay, we're probably going to take X amount of loss this year. We're going to have X amount of fewer sales. If If those are within expectation, uh, after the trade show, because now that there's no trade show, you're not going to have the opportunity to network. You're not, you know, these other companies that were going to go. Do you think there's going to be a trade show next year? If everything with all things being equal, where manufacturers are going to go, why do I have to do this? I hit what I thought I was going to hit. It's, it's tricky. It's very tricky. Um, so as you're familiar, my prediction is there's another show called the TPE. And that's in January, January right. or February. My prediction is because there is no show this summer, that show will be heavily attended. And a lot of retailers will want to go to the show, check it out. As of last year, we had a lot of new retailers go. Uh, they weren't really spending money. They were just there to kind of get a feel for the show and compare it to the PCA show. I think this year is going to be different because there is no PCA. So that show I believe will be heavily attended and it'll be heavily, it'll be very fruitful for retailers and manufacturers, unless there's another crazy outbreak of COVID and that one's canceled. But if everything goes as planned, it will be very successful. Now it's going to be up to the PCA to figure out a way to entice people to come back next year, especially if all these retailers are flattered by going to TPE if they go to TPE and they're flattered at the show, PCA is going to have to do something to get them to be flattered with coming back in the summer. It'll be very interesting to see how it's played out. If anything, I think this is a good thing because 
like I said, the industry needs a trade show. And I don't think any manufacturer is going to sit here and tell you that we're better off without a successful trade show every year, no matter how we're doing business. If we're doing it Zoom, we're doing deals, this and that. No, no manufacturer is going to say, man, we're better off without a successful trade show because it's just not factual. This needs to challenge the PCA to reevaluate their show and entice retailers to go because the problem is the retailers don't have every year. They find more and more excuses not to go. And that's not a good trend. Right. I've heard that from a lot of retailers is that it's just not what it was. There's why, why do we have to go back? So yeah, hopefully this will, this will do that. This will be the uh, motivation that they need because I've, the TPE is the new hotness, so to speak. That is the new show that everybody really wants to go to. TPE is still miles away from where PCA is though, but I'm interested to see how much ground they gain this, this January. If it gains a lot of ground this January, do you, do you think that's going to be the new one every year that everyone goes to? It all depends on how PCA answers. It really does. It all depends. They could come back and have a new situation that will grab people's attention. I, I don't know. That's what they need. They need to figure out a way to get more people to attend. So I don't know. I don't think it's a possibility. Do I think it's the end of PCA? No, but it's, it's possible that next year could, could take a significant hit. Well, because the bottom line is businesses have to do what's best for that business, whether that's going to the PCA trade show or not going to the PCA trade show, right? The PCA and the TPE both, like any trade show that wants to uh, entice businesses to to get there, they have to do, they have to, they, they have to make it uh, equitable for everybody, right? I mean, another thing to think about too is the time of the year that it's in. Uh, the PCA is in the summer. So there's more people in this country thriving business-wise during the summer months than there are in January. So January, at what point does TPE become a situation where these retailers are spending a lot of money in January, especially in the New England area, the Northeast? And it's right after Christmas. I mean, in in this industry, everybody's slowest month in sales or slowest time of the year is January, February. Now that allows you to go to the show, but I don't know. But then you have those people that say PCA is in the dead heat of summer. So Florida and Arizona doesn't profit from it at all. And I I don't know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons to both. There really is. So let's talk about something that's not PCA. (laughs) Let's talk about McAuliffe. What's next for McAuliffe? You guys, Still have that open letter out. You're, you are, I love what you guys are doing with the ambassadors. Uh, and, and I think it's a great to have a grassroots movement, which is essentially what it is. It's a grassroots movement uh, for a brand, for McAuliffe. Uh, you guys take care of the ambassadors. You take care of us. You especially took care of us during uh, the beginning of the COVID outbreak all the way through uh, while everyone was in lockdown. And now that we're starting to open things up. Uh, you guys did the McAuliffe madness, which was, you talked about uh, a little bit earlier where it was like March madness. Since we didn't have March madness this year, we got to vote, uh, on our favorite McAuliffe cigars and the different Vitolas. And, and as you said, uh, one of the medallias one, which 
shocked the hell out of me. I was I was thinking Leanda was going to win. I did too. I thought the number two was going to take it. Yeah, that was the number two was our top selling skews. So I I I picked it. I, I thought it would win. Um, but yeah, the Medallia Corona Extra was the one that took the crown. That was just so much fun putting that together. I'm sure the ambassadors loved it. We put um, we put our top thirty two sellers on a bracket, matched them up fairly. Uh, Dan seems to think there was some sort of collusion <laughs> uh, on how it was seated. No, it was seated very fairly, Dan. If you're listening, was he yelling and collusion around the like? Was he getting on Zoom meetings going collusion? He was. He thought it was. He thought it was jaded, but it was not. <laughs> um, it was voted on very fairly. The the one thing that I loved about it is. You know, we were doing morning cigar shows. We called it Cigar Center, a spinoff yep. of Sports Center. And I had a lot of fun doing that, getting, you know, going over the bracket. The one thing that I thought was awesome is the ambassador group got so into it, they organically grew campaign teams and divisions <laughs> on these matchups. Uh, specifically, when we got to the Elite Eight, all of a sudden we had a medallia versus Leanda and I have on my Facebook feed, I have, you know, 50 ambassadors posting, go medallia, go medallia. And another <laughs> yeah. 50 ambassadors posting, go Leanda, go Leanda. Uh, and posting all sorts of, you know, trash talking and, and this and that. And it was just crazy. You know, we are so fortunate to have the ambassadors that we do. Um, and that really, really showed me their power that they have and how much they enjoy the ambassador group by getting into it that deep. It was fantastic. I, I it was just a lot of fun. Yeah, and then you had the the to be named Maduro that you let the ambassadors name. They named it the ambassador, and uh, eventually it turned into the uh, the A. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy we didn't get you know Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> well. Unfortunately, it was voted on to be called the ambassador. However, there were legal reasons that we could not call it the ambassador. I suggested we should call it ambassador backwards, which I think is like rhombusad or whatever. I, I forget what it was. I thought that would have been funny, but uh, they just decided to call it the A. You can't trademark a letter. So right. put the A on there. Now, some people might get confused because it's not an A size or shape. However, the cigar is going to speak for itself, so it's like whatever. That was a lot of fun. So that is a very big su- success story. So we we had this cigar, and we had 500 bundles of it. We were deciding, okay, we're going to come out with this great Maduro cigar, and we're gonna it's going to be twofold. We're going to let the ambassadors name it and vote on a name. So that way they create some sort of ownership on the cigar. And it was set in a way that it was very profitable. It was a very profitable cigar for our retail partners. So we had this two sided thing where it's like, okay, it's very profitable for our retailers. So they're going to get behind it. It's ownership for the ambassadors. So they're going to get behind it. So we got two ways to grow the popularity of this cigar. And I always saw it as a way too. I was like, this is the cigar and situation that's going to put McAuliffe on the map in the retail stores. We needed something that was going to say, Hey, 
this is McAuliffe. The retailers want to sell it. The ambassadors and consumers want to buy it. This is McAuliffe. Welcome to the McAuliffe brand. Start with this and then try our other stuff and become a fan. We were sitting there and we're like 500 bundles. We're going to name it. We'll let the naming process go for like two months. It was our initial thought. We're like, cause we don't think, you know, we're still a small brand. We're like, okay, how long is this cigar going to last? We'll probably take a month to sell through them. We sold through 500 bundles in 48 <laughs> hours. The yes, retailers did. completely got behind it. The ambassadors for the retailers that didn't get behind it right away, the ambassadors started calling their retailers, asking them to make sure that they ordered some. And I mean, it was just bananas for a week. It, it felt, it felt awesome. Like it felt great. It was like kind of like my first like conquer as, as a national sales director. Like we got this, you know, awesome situation here. Let's sell it out and create a name for ourselves. So what's crazy is we sold it out in 48 hours. So that was March. We realized that we're not going to have this cigar produced in a healthy amount to resell again until probably July. But we'll let our retailers reserve, make reservations, pre-order some four months in advance if they want to if they want to have some on, on order for when it does release in July. We've taken just that that amount already in pre-orders for all, and it was a lot. It, it's funny because it's a lot of stores too that pre-ordered it that didn't get a crack at the first five hundred bundles, so they had to hear about it from somewhere, right? So it really was a cigar that made waves. It's a great cigar. Uh, it's funny to me when I see a retailer that still has some, if they go on the ambassador group and say that they still have some, they don't have them very much longer. It was a success all the way around. I'm super excited to see uh, what happens when it does come out to the market full-fledged. Uh, one cool thing is now we got a name for it. We're going to have box available options and we have a, uh, it's a new, it's an opportunity for us to show off our new rebranding that we've done recently. Our, our rebranding is going to make its uh, debut on that cigar. So all around, it sounds like a, it's going to be an awesome July when that thing releases. And I'm, I'm patiently counting down the days to when that's ready. Cause I'm excited. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's, that's a fantastic cigar. I love that cigar a lot. I, I can't wait to get a box. They're, they're just a special cigar. If you haven't had one, uh, you missed out. So yeah, look forward to that in July. The, the other ones that are, the ones that are out there, by the way, are going to be collector items because we are going to change. <laughs> we put yeah. the orange band on there, which is the same as our Torcedoras band. So we didn't want, we kind of did that because we had to get it out. Um, and we needed it named or whatever. So we took our, you know, shiniest band and put it on there. It's going to have a different band. So any of them that are still out there, when that comes out with the old band, it's going to become a collector item. I have about eight of them in my humidor and I'm not touching them for a while. Yeah, I've got two. <laughs> I'm not touching them for a while either. Yeah. Very good. I'm looking forward to when it uh, becomes regular production. Uh, so the A in July, look forward to that. The other thing you guys have been doing, and I, I I don't see this a lot with other manufacturers. I see it some, not a lot. The virtual events that some of the retailers have been putting on, you guys really get behind that. And not only do you get behind that, but you get the ambassadors to get behind that. It was crazy to me the amount of support those events got. I figured they'd be supportive. You know, I was, 
I, I woke up one day and I'm like, it's April. And of course, no one is uh, really moving a lot of product right now because of the COVID situation. I'm like, how can I get something going, get some excitement going, get some sales going for an account of mine that uh, has, has become dear and near to me, uh, which is big boy cigars. I'm actually I was uh, say, wearing right the hat. memorabilia right now. So I sat down with him and he, he proposed, let's do a virtual event. I'll make samplers, ship them out myself, and we will advertise the heck out of this on the ambassador group and through my social media platform. So big boys is, has a few that they're a part of that they advertise as well. And I'm like, this is great. So let's, let's think of like a couple samplers. Let's do two samplers. Uh, let's have a two week up a two week lead time where they're going to get raffle tickets. Kind of like you see in store promotions. Sometimes you buy four, get one, you get a ticket for a, for a Keurig machine or what have you, or a grill. Yep. Let's do that. Let's create prize packs. Um, we'll dedicate some, if you're willing to dedicate some of your stuff, which we did, we kind of went 50, 50 on all the prize packs. We made six or seven very attractive prize packs and put raffle tickets in the samplers. Another key was big boys is an ultimate inventory partner. So we're like, okay, if they buy a box of the ultimate inventory, we'll ship them free cigars with the box. You can digitally send them a, a raffle ticket and at the end of two weeks, we're going to do a live event. I'm going to have Al McAuliffe himself on Zoom, and we're just going to preach this to the ambassadors. So two weeks went through, and they sold a very good amount of samplers, and they sold a very good amount of boxes. And we're coming up on this event, and I'm like, we need to drive excitement to the actual video. Like, we need to do something to where the phone is ringing, you know, kind of like a telethon. So I talked with Robbie, the owner of Big Boys, and I was like, we need to come up with a day of sampler. Like a new sampler has nothing to, we haven't done this before. Put a price point on it that's attractive. Say we're going to give extra raffle tickets if you're ordering it the day of. So we did that and the ambassadors went, went nuts. You know, <laughs> they went nuts. The phone was ringing off the hook. It was definitely the most exciting event I've ever been to. I've done hundreds of cigar events and this one had no people in the lounge and it was the most exciting I've been to. I mean, the phone was going like a telethon. We got three people answering different phone calls, taking orders, taking addresses. Then Al McAuliffe pops on and Al says, Hey, I'm going to throw in a couple extra raffle prizes that weren't advertised before. So that created even more excitement. I had people calling back ordering a second sampler during the show, I mean, people, it was in a three hour time period. I had a handful of ambassadors order twice. Wow. And we just advertised it on the ambassador group. The engagement level was extremely high and everybody just freaking loved it. It was so much fun. The, the store was extremely appreciative of it. And so I told, I told everybody, I was like, let's do a couple more of these. So I was able to create a program. The problem was not everybody not every store was willing to do it. Uh, I think it was more of a, some of these stores were already so busy. They didn't feel like adding like shipping responsibilities to their daily agenda. Uh, sure. But we had, two, we had three other stores jump in on it. And each one of those went pretty much the same way. We're super exciting phone ringing off the hook. Uh, we did one with the leaf and it was, I guess, 
the first time that they realized that they didn't have call waiting because everybody <laughs> was calling in and getting busy signals. I was like, okay. And then Jay came on. He's like, I didn't even realize I had, I didn't have call waiting. Like when would I have ever needed it before? And I'm like, yeah, that's right. true. Like who, who would have ever pointed it out to me? And it, we had all these people calling, Oh, it's a busy signal. It's a busy signal. I want in on this. I want in on that. And it was a lot, it was a lot of fun to do. However, I have to say that the retailers also put in a lot of effort in it. Like we, we, we created the platform for it, but big boys work their tails off. Uh, Smokers Haven, the leaf, they work their tails off to make these things profitable for them. Uh, which was, which was fantastic. Once they saw how profitable it could be, they really got motivated and jumped into it and it just all, you know, kind of worked. And it's something that we want to continue to do in the future uh, is do these virtual events because that gives you the opportunity to do an event no matter where you are, no matter what time. We can have Al pop on. We can preach it to the ambassador group. Uh, You know, one thing I thought was fascinating is we had several ambassadors that ordered significant amount of product from all the events. Like we had one of our ambassadors won a prize. He won a raffle prize from each of the four events that we did. And I had another one win two of the grand prizes, like the (laughs) ultimate prize. He won two of the four. And I'm like, how does this one guy get so lucky? Should be playing the lottery. That's what I said. I was like, you're now my best friend. If I ever need like (laughs) some sort of gambling advice, I'm going to be reaching out to you. And it was just, it was so much fun. The ambassadors, I thought all loved it. Uh, they were in tune with it. They were invested in it financially and emotionally. It was great. So now that we're starting to reopen, things are starting to to get back to some semblance of normal. Not that I think that that whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what's happening. What's next for McAuliffe? So you said the events are going to continue, these virtual events, which I think are fantastic. I, and I'll tell you why I think it's fantastic. It gives those of us who, like like I said before, I'm on an island. I don't have, like the nearest uh, lounge to me is an hour and a half away. And I can't, I'm immunocompromised. So I still like everything's opening up and I'm like, great. Well, (laughs) it doesn't affect me at all. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't affect me. So I can't even go to this new lounge. It's an hour and a half away. And the ones that carry McAuliffe are two and a half hours away. So for me, these virtual events allow me the opportunity to participate in things that I wouldn't otherwise be able to. So what's next for McAuliffe with all these things opening up, more virtual events? What's what's on the horizon? This year, like you said, in our open our open letter, we made the commitment to the brick and mortars. Uh, we made the commitment to growing with them. We made the commitment of reinvesting in ourselves as well by adding, uh, you know, extending our sales team and extending our marketing platform that we have uh, in various different manners. The sales team um, is a focus now because we've all been sitting at home for the last two months. We've all called our retailers three or four times over, uh, we, you know, made sure that they heard our voice, this and that. Now it's time to get back out there. And we have, uh, we have two new sales guys that came on board right before COVID, one right before COVID and one during COVID. I'm super excited for both of them to get out there, uh, meet their retailers, build the relationships and organically grow that way. We're still looking for a couple more sales team members. 
uh, to round out our force. And I really think with boots on the ground, we're really going to start to grow, especially off the momentum of all of the ambassador group and all this off the record and virtual stuff we've done. Uh, one thing we're, bo- we're definitely excited about was we already mentioned that we have the McAuliffe A coming out in July. I think that's going to go a long way. And we have two new Vitolas uh, coming out as well this summer. Uh, two new Horencia sizes will be coming out this summer as well. So we're excited about those three new Vitolas hitting the shelves. And like you said, the virtual events are going to continue. The Phoenix program gives the retailers an opportunity to invest in our brand um, and invest in that relationship that we're building with them. So we got, we got some exciting times. I'm ready to get back out and see the retailers. Uh, last week, some of the, re- uh, the sales team was starting to be allowed to see people in their home markets. Again, uh, still no real travel yet. That'll probably start next week. Right. But I just went out there and, and saw the stores in Nashville and several of them that I didn't even know cared about the ambassador program mentioned that they had heard about the content and the videos and the off the record and the McAuliffe madness and all that stuff that we were doing uh, and thought it was just fantastic. It grew the excitement for the brand. So we're just excited to continue to build off of that and hopefully round this year off on a very positive note, given it's been kind of negative atmosphere the last two months out there. So, I mean, that's our goal. We're excited about that. We're excited to see what happens as the year ends. um, I'm sure we'll have some other tricks up our sleeves to uh, continue to grow the, grow the brand. (laughs) Uh, We're working on a couple new, uh, you know, possible swag items that I nice. think will be really cool. And I think our ambassadors and our customers will, will really enjoy that stuff. So I can't really go into what we're doing yet, but there's some cool ideas that are being tossed around and we're just, we're just going to continue to do what we do best. And that's makes, make good cigars and build great relationships with our retailers. I'll tell you what, you guys do make great cigars and you build relationships, not just with your retailers, but you build relationships with your consumers. You build relationships with the media. Uh, I think you guys do a fantastic job at all all of that, just building relationships in general. And I don't see a lot of that in an industry that, like you said earlier, is really built on building relationships uh, with each other. One, One cool thing about the off the record shows that I've noticed is and one of the goals with this was to focus it on educating the consumer. There's a lot of, there's a lot of media out there that does these interviews and this and that, and it's more of a, it's tailored more towards the cigar industry or more towards a certain region, that kind of thing. Our goal with off the record was to take these guests showcase them in front of our ambassadors who are our consumers. They're not our, they're not um, people that work in the industry for the most part. There are a few, but there are consumers. We're giving them this information on these other brands. And I had a lot of uh, feedback from the guys that we had on the show that were appreciative of that. It's like, yeah, I've never had someone, A, I've never had a competitor bring me on a show and interview me. And B, I've never had them, 
showcase me to their ambassadors who are their consumers. Like we felt like that's an opportunity to be had is to give this information straight to the consumer and the ambassadors have loved it. And I've gotten so much good feedback on it Uh, as well. You should, you guys should be commended for that. I, I love it. I think it's great. Not only was it, not only did it help keep us entertained while we were locked down, it gave us an opportunity, like you said, to learn about other brands and, and see other people in the industry that we may not have ever seen otherwise. Yeah. And it's something we're going to continue to do too. We're planning on doing off the records once a week, uh, probably on Wednesday evenings going forward. So we want to continue that obviously with us, all being back on the road again. It'd be impossible to do as many as we were doing. Right. However, once a week would be great to have some guy to showcase uh, an industry leader or a brand or, or what have you uh, and just keep it going. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. They've all been a, a, a lot of fun. I personally enjoyed the John Carney one just because of the rapport that you two had because it was like the, the stories you guys could tell. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was fantastic. And Dan's reactions uh, when he's on it are usually pretty good as well. Mm-hmm. Andy, thank you so much. Andy Yaffe, National uh, Sales Director for McAuliffe Cigars. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I appreciate it. I know my listeners appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll see you back on the show when some of this new stuff starts coming out for McAuliffe. James, I would love to come back on the show whenever uh, you'd like to have me. I'd be honored. Uh, this, was a, this was a treat. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. You have a fantastic show. And I just, I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I did too. And hopefully uh, when I'm able to get back out there, uh, I can meet you in person and we can sit down and have a conversation, smoke a cigar. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, Andy, thank you very much. Uh, everybody, we'll be back next time where I'll have the executive director for the CRA, Glenn Loop, on. Until then, stay smoky, friends. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Please rate and review Simply Stogies on iTunes. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies. <laughs>